Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Drafting help stacking up behind each of those drivers. One driver on the move further back, trying to make his way to the front. Austin Dillon, right now he's on the outside of a three-wide move. Joey Logano and Kurt Busch to his left elbow as he is in the extreme outside lane and will tuck back into line just in front of Kyle Larson and just outside of the top ten. And with three laps to go in stage... Oh, 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 wait, wait, wait. We're live on the air. Wait, wait. Okay, okay. No, I'm just joking. Yes, I... I'm listening to the Daytona 500, but it's Sunday afternoon and I need to turn off the Daytona 500 so that I can focus on something more important. And that's focusing on, well, things that are spiritual. Do you ever find yourself in that same dilemma? Like you're, you're, you're at home and maybe it, maybe for you, it's not this. Has a trunk full of William Byron. There's Kyle Busch stacked up there as well. For you, it may not be the Daytona 500. It may not be. You may not have any problem with the Daytona 500. But do you find yourself constantly being distracted and pulled in so many different directions of things that may appear at least, not not only appear, they may actually in some ways be more appealing to your flesh. It's something that that brings you pleasure, something you like, something you enjoy. And the next thing you know, you spend two, three, four, five hours doing that, and you've spent no time partaking of anything spiritual. You've not had any spiritual food. In a sense, you've spent all day, well, eating junk food. And as you reach the end of your day, maybe the end of your week, you realize that spiritually speaking, you're, you, you've not... <laughs> You haven't done anything to help yourself spiritually. You've not eaten, you've not had a a good diet of spiritual food. I I can't speak for anyone else, but I'm constantly struggling with that. There's always things that I want to do, always things that I'm interested in. I have so many interests, so many things that I like, so many things. I'll even use the term love that constantly pulls me from the things of God. And sometimes I have to just, just like I right there, I had to, I had to push stop, put the phone down and say, nope, right now we're going to do something spiritually. I, I, I just, I, I wanted just, I, the reason I wanted to do that is because that's literally what I, look, that wasn't in a sense rehearsed in this way because, because this is what really was happening. It wasn't rehearsed because this is what was really happening. I got here to the church and as I was driving here to the church, I was listening to the Daytona 500 because before I left to drive back to the church, I was at home watching the Daytona 500. So I, I pulled up in the parking lot and I was listening, listening. I walked through the front door of the church and I had the Daytona 500 playing as I set everything up. And then I sat down and literally as I was pressing the button to go live, I was still listening to the Daytona 500. I, I was going to listen to it to the very last second. What I was going to do is right when the intro was playing, right when it got ready to end, I was just going to put the phone down. And then I was just going to come in and go, welcome, everyone. 
Good afternoon, everyone. As if, you know, here I am. I'm so spiritually minded. I'm here at the church on the Sunday afternoon, and I got a copy of The Imitation of Christ open, and I've got my Bible, and, and I'm ready to turn my attention to the things of God because, you see, I'm, I'm a spiritual podcaster. I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm theologically minded, but it would have all been a lie. It would have all been a show. So I, I, once I realized that the intro was over, I just thought, you know what, I'll just, I'll just let everyone hear what I'm actually doing in real time. So I, so I hope you understand that that's not, I, I wasn't using that to try to make some grand spiritual point for your benefit. I was doing that to demonstrate the lack of spirituality in the one sitting behind this microphone, because to be honest with you right now, if it was up to me, I wouldn't be here at the church. I'd be at home watching the Daytona 500. That's what I would be doing. I'm just going to be honest with you. That's, that's what I would be doing. I know you're going, man, you're not very spiritual. I know, I know, I know. And uh, if you're honest with yourself, neither are you. <laughs> okay. If we're, if we're honest, we're, we're very much bound by the flesh, Right? Our flesh loves pleasure more than it loves God. That, that's something that's just inside of us, and we have to constantly fight it. Sometimes we, we experience great victory, and sometimes we find out that we spent the week focusing on feeding the flesh. So I'm going to try now to turn my attention to something spiritual. So with all of that said, with all of that said, Welcome, everyone. It is Sunday, February the 20th, 2022. It is currently 3.20 p.m. Central Time. And yes, the Daytona 500 is currently underway, but we're going to set aside the Daytona 500 or set aside whatever could be distracting you. And I've got here right in front of me, The Imitation of Christ by Thomas Akempis, which we have been working on now for a very long time. We took a slight detour and we spent some time learning the Catholic teaching on conscience. I think we did a very good job there. And I offered an alternative perspective on conscience. Everyone, I know most Christians really carry this. And most Christians kind of carry the, the Catholic idea that, hey, the conscience is almost the, the aboriginal pope. It's, it's like it's, you can listen to the conscience. You can trust the conscience. And I argue, no, the conscience is there to constantly remind me, wait a minute, there is this sense of wrong and right. Where does it come from? Where is this sense of wrong and right coming from? And it should point me to finding the original source of that sense of wrong and right. And that is found in God. And then the only way to truly understand God's standard of wrong and right is not to turn around and look back inward to my conscience, but to look to the word of God. You can go back and listen to everything we discussed in relation to that. It's called, you can look for all of the episodes called Theology of Conscience, part one, two, three, four. I think we made it to maybe part five or part six. Listen to all of them. But since we've taken that detour, now after we need to circle back to the main road, which is book two, chapter six of The Imitation of Christ by Thomas Akempis. And we are going to see what he has to say in regards to conscience. I'm not going to repeat everything I have said about it, but I'm going to just take his position, his perspective, and kind of walk it to its logical conclusion. 
But I want you to remember in the beginning that that long, maybe not well executed introduction that I gave you that I want to be listening to the Daytona 500. See, I want to be listening to this. This lead draft has broken up somewhat. 19 cars in it. It looks like everybody else is going to settle back and hope they can avoid a crash. That's what I want to be doing, right? Because that's what my flesh wants. Just just keep that in mind. Keep that in mind because I think it may become significant in what we're going to look at. All right, are you ready? So here we go. Book two, chapter six, The Joy of a Good Conscience, Thomas Akempis, written over 500 years ago. It starts this way. The glory of a good man is the testimony of a good conscience. And we believe that is a reference to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 12, not 1 Corinthians 1, 31, as the edition of my book actually has in the book itself is incorrect. 2 Corinthians 1, 12. So the glory of a good man is the testimony of a good conscience. Have a good conscience and you shall have joy. A good conscience is able to bear much and is very joyful in adversities. An evil conscience is always fearful and restless. Now let's stop right here. Thomas Akempis seems to be making this argument that if you, if you look inwardly and you find that you have a good conscience, then you will experience these two things. You're going to have joy. You're going to be able to bear many, many problems. You're going to be able to bear much, and you're going to be very joyful in your adversities. If you can look inwardly and find that you have a good conscience, you're going to have joy in your adversities. You're going to be able to bear much. But if you have an evil conscience, you're always going to be fearful and restless. Now, I'm going to raise the question here. If I look inwardly, if I look inwardly, am I ever going to truly have joy? Am I ever going to truly have peace? Am I ever going to have true, true contentment? Even if from a human perspective, I can try to argue that I have a good conscience. Can I ever truly have that? Or every time I look inwardly, am I going to be filled with fear and restlessness? Now, Thomas Akempis, his argument is, no, if you look inwardly, you've got a good conscience, everything's going to be okay. If you look inwardly, you have a bad conscience, well, it's not going to be okay. I'm calling it into question. If I ever look inwardly, will I ever find what Thomas Akempis seems to be indicating that I can have? I'm calling it into question. Let's see what he says, what he does here. You shall rest sweetly if your heart does not blame you. All right, so you shall rest sweetly if your heart does not blame you. If you, if you, if you look inwardly, if, in, if you're inwardly, your heart does not blame you, your heart does not convict you, then you can, you can, well, you can get a good night's sleep. Never rejoice except when you have done well. Sinners have never true joy nor feel inward peace because there is no peace, saith the Lord, unto the wicked. So as a sinner, you're never going to experience true joy. And never going to feel inward peace. Now, wait a minute. I would immediately raise my hand if I was listening to Thomas Akempis, Thomas Akempis say these things. I would say, but wait a minute. We're all sinners. We all sin on a regular and consistent basis. So when you say these things, it sounds so good. Even many, many non-Catholics would agree with Thomas Akempis and go, you're right. If you've got an evil conscience, if your heart convicts you, you're never going to find joy because you've done something wrong. 
But my argument would be anytime I look inwardly, and if I'm truly honest with myself, I'm going to find I am a sinner in thought, in word, in attitude, and in action. That I'm a sinner in the things I do, and I'm a sinner in the things I fail to do. I'm constantly sinning. He says sinner will never have true joy nor feel inward peace. So if I'm a sinner, then how can I ever have joy or find peace? Is it by fixing my conscience? Well, if I clean up my conscience. Now, listen, I do understand. In one sense, there's a little bit of truth to this. Let me try to explain. If you know that you've been doing some things really messed up, You've been doing some things really, really bad and you've been trying to hide it. You've been trying to conceal it. Yeah, that's going to eat away at you. I understand that. There is a little bit of truth to that. But what I'm trying to do is say that even if there's not some specific thing that you're hiding and it's eating you away, that if you're truly honest and you view yourself in the light of God's holiness, you will constantly be made aware of your failures and your shortcomings. So then I will argue that anytime I look inwardly, I'm never going to find peace and, and any kind of any of these bit of any of the things that Thomas Akempis is describing if I'm honest with what I find when I look inwardly. He goes on to say, and if they should say, the sinner, we are in peace, no evil shall fall upon us, and who shall dare, dare, dare hurt us? Believe them not, for suddenly the wrath of God will arise and their deeds shall be brought to naught and their thoughts shall perish. So if you find a sinner who's like, hey, everything is great, don't believe them. Sooner or later, God's wrath will pour out upon them and everything's going to be horrible. But again, it's seeming to indicate that I don't, I can stop being a sinner. Like at what point would I ever look at someone and go, they're a sinner and I'm not? Now, we have a tendency to do that because we, we view sinners as committing the sins that we don't commit. Oh, there's that homosexual man. They're a sinner, but, but I'm good to go because I'm just a heterosexual who struggles with lust, right? It's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. That, that, no, we're, 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 we're both sinners. To glory in tribulation is no hard thing for him who loves for to, for to so glory is to glory in the cross of the Lord. Brief is the glory which is given and received from men. The world's glory is ever accompanied by sorrow. The glory of, of the good, the glory of the good is in their consciences and not in the tongues of men. The gladness of the just is of God and in God, and their joy is of the truth. He who desires true and everlasting glory cares not for, for that which is temporal, and he who seeks temporal, temporal, glory, temporal glory or removes it not from his soul shows that he little loves the glory of heaven. Now, he's getting ready to take a little detour here. Or a slight detour. Remember, Thomas Akempis always writes this like almost in a stream of consciousness, like where he's like, he, he seems to be going with this one idea and all of a sudden he just turns. He's really going with this idea of if you have a good conscience, man, you can have peace, you can have joy, you can handle all of these things. And now he's kind of 
taking a detour here, and he's referring to, uh, well, again, even here, the glory of, a, of the good is in their consciences and not in the tongues of men. So here he seems to be implying that if you have a, so if you have a good conscience, you're going to have joy, you're going to have peace, and you can handle anything. And if you have a good conscience, then the glory of the good is going to be in your conscience, not in what other people say about you. The gladness of the justice of God. So in other words, you're going to have this, this glory, this good, this gladness is all going to come from God because you have a good conscience. He's still connecting it to conscience in, in a roundabout way. Their joy is of the truth. So your joy is going to be in the truth. And he who desires true and everlasting glory cares not for that which is temporal. And he who seeks temporal glory or removes it not from his soul shows how, the, how little he loves the glory of heaven. In other words, if you are so worried about a temporal glory, the glory that comes from this world and what people say and what people give you, if you, if you are so focused on that, then you show, show that you don't really love the glory of heaven. So it's, it's almost like a little bit of a detour because now you're getting into what glory matters, what glory doesn't matter. But I, I, I want to keep it focused on the conscience idea. All right, just, just stay with me here. Let's move on to the next paragraph. He has great tranquility of heart who cares neither for the praises nor for the fault finding of men. So you can have tranquility of heart if you don't care about how people praise you and you don't care about how people try to find fault with you. You can truly find tranquility if you stop worrying about what people, if they praise you or if they find fault with you. If you stop worrying about what people think, you will have tranquility of heart. And there is much we can say about that but I, I want to just focus on the conscience idea a little bit more here, all right? He will eat, now listen, he will easily be content and pacified whose conscience is pure. Now, what he's saying is, if you have a pure conscience, uh, you're gonna be content. You're gonna be pacified. You're not gonna worry about what people say about you, good or bad. See, it goes back to if you have a pure conscience, you are not holier if you are praised, nor the more worthless if you are found fault with. What you are, that you are. Neither by words can you be made greater than that which you are in the sight of God. Now, Thomas Akempis seems to go with this idea. See, don't worry what people say because they can't make you holier. They can't make you more of a sinner. Don't worry about what people say. Worry about what God sees, in other words, worry about your conscience. If you have a good, pure conscience, then boom, that's all that matters. But I, I struggle with this because I think, I, I think, Tom, I know, I know Thomas Kempis is looking at it from a Catholic perspective. If, if we, I'm going to look at it from what I think is a realistic and a biblical perspective. I completely agree that I don't need to worry about what people say about me, whether good or bad. I completely agree with that. But Thomas Akempis thinks the answer to all of this, if you want joy, if you want peace, if you want tranquility, if you want glory, everything goes to you have to have a pure conscience. 
So that means you're looking inwardly. I'm looking inwardly and I'll find peace. I'll find tranquility. I'll find glory. I won't be disturbed. I won't be bothered. Everything's going to be wonderful as long as I have a pure conscience. And my argument is, I don't care how good you think you are. If you look inwardly and you're open and you're honest and you compare what you find inwardly to the standard of God, which is perfection and holiness, and you compare what you find to the word of God, then you're going to constantly realize that no matter how pure you think your conscience is, in reality, it is corrupt and it is dirty and it is impacted by the sin that is inside of you. You're going to find the sin inside of you. I think that if you want peace, if you want tranquility, if you don't want to be disturbed and you don't want to be bothered by what people are saying about you, you can't look inwardly You have to look externally and you have to look to what Jesus Christ did on the cross 2,000 years ago and you have to look to the imputed righteousness that's been given to you by faith alone. Because in Christ, we have to look to our position in Christ, not to the condition of our conscience. I look to the, look, if I look inwardly to the inward, to, to my conscience, and if I'm, if my conscience is very well informed by the reality that is inside of me, I'm going to constantly feel a sense of guilt. I'm going to constantly feel a sense of I'm unworthy. I'm going to constantly realize how unholy I am. So I cannot look to what's in me. I have to look to what's been imputed to me. And when I look to the imputed righteousness of Christ and who I am in Christ, then you, I, nothing you can do to, can make me more holy. Nothing you can do to make me a greater sinner because in my position in Christ, I'm perfectly holy, perfectly obedient. So then I can have joy. I can have peace because of that cannot change. See, if I look to my conscience, whatever my conscience says about me today, one, it may not even be trustworthy because my conscience is inside of me and inside of me is sin and my heart is desperately wicked and deceitful above all things. So I don't even know if I can trust what my conscience says. But even if my conscience says today you're good, 30 minutes later, my conscience may be saying you're not so good. So I I can't look to my conscience. It will be a roller coaster of, okay, I think I'm okay. I don't think I'm okay. But if I look to the finished work of Christ, nothing can change that. Nothing can disturb that. Nothing can move that. No matter what sin I commit, nothing can change the imputed righteousness given to me by faith. I think he's pointing to the wrong thing to find this peace, this tranquility, this idea of not being disturbed. He seemed to look inwardly. Now look, and in fact, I'll show you in the next paragraph. If you consider what you are within, you will not care what men say of you. Well, if I consider what I am within, I, I, I may not care what people say about me because they won't, even ha- they won't even be able to scratch the surface and how sinful and how bad I really am. If I really know what I am within, I'm going to say, woe is me. I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. I am ungodly. I am unworthy. Forgive me. I'm a sinner. I, 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 I don't deserve anything. I, you're going to realize that inwardly you're basically, you know, you're, you're, you're sloshing around in the pig pen. So I, I, I don't like Thomas Akempa saying, if you consider what you are within, then you're not going to care what men say of you. No, I have to consider what I am in Christ, not what I am within. Man looks on the countenance, but God on the heart. 
Man considers the deeds, but God weighs the intentions. Yes, and when God looks to my heart and weighs the intentions, he's going to find me lacking. He's going to find me falling short. To be always doing well and to esteem oneself lightly is the sign of a humble soul. To refuse to be comforted by any creature is a sign of great purity and inward confidence. He who seeks no witness for himself from without shows that he has wholly committed himself unto God. For not he that commandeth himself is approved, but whom the Lord commend, commendeth. Second Corinthians, they have 10, 18. To walk inwardly with God and not to be kept abroad by any affection is the state of an inward Christian man. And that's the end of the chapter. That's the end of the chapter. Now, there's a lot here we could take apart, but I, I think the, I'm going after the fundamental or the foundational flaw that I believe is in this chapter. Thomas Akempis is like, get your conscience right. Purify your conscience, and then boom, you have peace, you have tranquility, you have glory, you won't be disturbed by what anybody says to you. Everything's going to be great, everything's going to be wonderful, everything's going to be awesome. Seemingly to indicate that you can so inform your conscience, discipline your conscience, structure, purify your conscience. I don't know how he would say it, but you can, well, he definitely would say you can so instruct your conscience. That's a very Catholic language. You can so inform your conscience. That's another phrase. You can so instruct, inform, and and, in a sense, mold your conscience to being so good that you can have all of those things. And I disagree. No matter how, quote unquote, good I can make my conscience, no matter how wonderful I can make my conscience, no matter how good my conscience can be, that if my conscience is even, even slightly accurate, going to realize the sin inside of me, the lust, the hypocrisy, the, 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 the worry, anxiety, bitterness, unforgiveness. You just name it. It, it. It's going to know what's inside of me. If I look inwardly, I'm never going to be contented. I'll never have, I'll always be restless. I won't have any peace. I won't have any rest. I will constantly be tossed to and fro. What I have to realize is my conscience tells me there's a source of right and wrong. I look to that source of right and wrong, which is God, and I realize he is holy, and I realize I am not. And then I realize that I am guilty before a holy God continually. So then I have to look to something other than my conscience trying to be good or my actions, which may may or not, even if my good actions are going to be tainted by the inward corruption of my heart and my, my motivations and my desires, I've got to look to something else. And that to me is the finished work of Christ, the imputed righteousness of Christ. That's what I have to cling to. Now that doesn't excuse my actions. My actions are still sinful, but no matter what people say about me, they, again, they cannot make me holier. They cannot make me more a sinner than I already am. Whether they excuse me or whether they condemn me doesn't change anything because my I am declared righteous in Christ Jesus. I have to focus on what I am positionally because the reality of my practice will never be sufficient before a holy God. 
But if I constantly look to Christ, then I can find that peace, that tranquility, that glory, that stability, because nothing can change that positional reality. That, that I think is the correct way to understand it. Thomas Akempis wants us to look to our conscience. And if it's all good, everything is good. I, I, I'm like, I think the, listen, I think the more informed, here's, here's what I would say. I think the, the better your conscience is, the more pure your conscience is, the, the more informed your conscience is, the more instructed your conscience is, the more sensitive it will be to the inward pollution that is inside of you. It's going to become more sensitive to the wrong you do. And you're going to feel even a greater sense of guilt and a greater sense of unworthiness. And you're going to be even more disturbed. The more you purify your conscience, the more your conscience is going to realize what's going on around you and in you. That's why we have to look to to something other than that. All right. There is chapter six of book two of The Imitation of Christ by Thomas Akempis. Now, there's some, we could have went to a little different direction on some of those paragraphs, but I will stop for now. Now, you know what I want to do? Inwardly, you know what, you know what I'm desiring right now? Inwardly, I mean, inwardly, right inside of me, you know, the sinner that I am, you know what I'm, I'm desiring right now? I'm desiring this. That's what I truly desire inwardly. Now, ex- externally, I, I could put on a good show. Hey, everybody, let's talk about spiritual things. But inwardly, I'm like, man, I wonder what's going on in the race. Man, I'm missing the race. I so wanted to watch the Daytona 500 today. Man, why does it, why do they have to race on Sunday? So I'm sitting here doing the podcast. I'm, I keep looking over at the clock going, man, I wonder, wonder where, I wonder what's going on in the race. I wonder what's going on in the race. See, that's the reality. Now, my conscience, if I look inwardly to my conscience, hopefully if I have a good conscience, it's going to say, man, you so love that more than you love the things of God today. And so therefore, I wouldn't find peace. I wouldn't find comfort. I would find conviction. I would find frustration with myself. Now, I'm not in any way excusing I'm not in any way excusing the fact that I, in in a sense, do love that so greatly that I'm struggling with it. I'm not excusing it, but here's what I know. In Christ, I'm completely forgiven. I'm completely obedient. I'm completely holy. I completely love God perfectly because I'm in Christ Jesus. So therefore, I do have some sense of peace. And people will listen to this and may say, that was a stupid introduction. And why does he like Daytona? And, and, or some people may send me an email going, I love that you're so honest and open. I, whether it's the praise or whether it's people attacking me, none of it changes who I am in Christ Jesus. It's not going to make me any more holy, not going to make me any more sinful. So I should not be moved by it any way, shape, or form. I think in a roundabout way, that serves as a good illustration 
of my perspective versus the, the perspective I feel Thomas Akempis was putting forth. He's like, look inwardly. If you got a good conscience, everything's wonderful. And I'm thinking, if I look inwardly, I'm not gonna, not, things are not gonna be wonderful. And I think the more, I think the more pure, instructed, the, the better my conscience is, the more sensitive it will be and the more conviction I will experience. They always say the closer you get to God, the further away you will feel from God. The closer you get to God, the further you will feel from God because the closer you get, the more your sins are exposed. So the further away you will feel. All right. You can email me your thoughts. Newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. I'm going to get everything set up and we will be back. Um, We'll be back live on the air here shortly. All right. I'm just uh, making sure that um, I've got everything ready and we'll, 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 we'll press on over the next couple of hours while tr- trying to put our focus on the things of God. All right, I hope that was beneficial. You can let me know. Thanks for listening. Again, email me. If it was beneficial in any way, shape, or form, uh, I, I do want, want to know if it, if it helped you in any way, shape, or form. Newsif at yahoo.com. And if there's anything we just talked about, those who are part of the Theology Central Discord channel, hey, let me know. Did you agree? What do you think? Do you agree with Thomas Akempis' perspective or my perspective? Which one? By all means, share your thoughts. All right, everyone have a great day. I'll be back on the air shortly. God bless.